0: go ahead and take your Bible and go to the book of Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 says in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it was thou taken? For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Right here we see a pretty, I guess, if you want to look at it this way, kind of a mean statement that God says to Adam. He says, "Dust thou art. You're dust. You may, and truth is, we just read before, or before that, we didn't read it, but if you read it, you see that God made man from the dust of the ground." And what happens to us after a long period of time after we're dead? We turn back into dust. I mean, this flesh, what we really are, is not that much. Especially when you compare it to God. And one of the things that we see a lot throughout the Bible is kind of, is very similar to what we see in life. Maybe, uh, you've been in this situation before, maybe we're uh, you were the bully or maybe uh, you were the one being bullied and one of the things that you'll see a lot of times whenever somebody's trying to prove a point they might make a statement like who do you think you are? you ever, you ever heard of that before? who do you think you are? and usually when somebody says who do you think you are what they're basically saying is you're nothing I'm something All right? and, what, and they'll usually proceed to tell you like, who do you think you are? You know, I've I've whipped guys twice your size. I mean, you know, it's like you know, have you seen you seen that graveyard out there and all those people in the cemetery? You need to ask yourself how'd they get there? You know, say you know, they make these different threats and things, trying to uh, show you that hey, I am a whole lot stronger than you. I can bench three hundred and fifty pounds. I can do this. You can't do anything. They're trying to draw a comparison here to let you know that hey, you better not talk to me that way. I am way above you." And in the Bible, we see things similar, and right here in this story in Genesis, God is basically telling Adam, "You're dust. Why did God do that? Adam had just went against the very law of God. They had just, I mean, blatantly disobeyed the command of God. And I think God's looking at Adam and thinking, who do you think you are? You are dust why would you break My commandment? Have you ever asked your kids, kids, why would you do that? Did I not just tell you, don't do that? Why would you do that? Why do you think you know more than me as a parent? Did you think that I wasn't going to find out? Did you think that I was just going to let this go? And it's like we're trying to get in their head and try to get them to understand, You know, you don't do this. You need to listen. And God does that with Adam right here. And throughout the Bible, He does that. We're going to look at some examples and hopefully this will help all of us kind of put into perspective who we really are because if we have any kind of problem in this nation today, and even in churches, is we have this attitude of just thinking we're way more than we actually are. We've got a real pride problem in society today. I mean, people just get to thinking too much of themselves. And any time you get lifted up with pride, you're going to get knocked down. And it's going to be bad. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we're going to look at a few examples in the Bible of people who got lifted up with pride. And when they did, we kind of see God step in and in a roundabout way basically say, who do you think you are? And one example is in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to look at the story of Lucifer. We all know who Lucifer is. Lucifer, uh, he at one time was, was an angel, was a very glorious creature, a beautiful creation of God. And he was probably the greatest of all God's creations. And yet, or because of that, he gets lifted up with pride. Well, really, Lucifer, he was that. He was just a creation. He was something that God made for a specific purpose. But he got to look at it himself one day. I don't know when or how it all happened. But he got thinking a little too high of himself. And it says in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, "...how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven." I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Looked it up with pride. He's got these big plans for himself. Now, Satan or Lucifer, all we really know about him as far as God's purpose and plan for him is he was known as the covering cherub. He probably was one of the, uh, he had a place and a position. Right around the throne of God. Along with those, uh, four seraphims that we talked about, we've been talking about in Revelation. He had a very, he had a very, uh, important spot in heaven. And that, but that was it for him. That was God's plan for him. And he should have been content with that, but he just got to looking at himself and thinking, you know what? I ought to be the one on the throne. I should be equal with God. I will be like the Most High. Lifted up with pride. That happens to people all the time. We need to understand God has a plan for every one of us. God's got something specific. And I'm here to tell you that whether God wants you to be uh, you know, the janitor of a government building or the President of the United States, if God wants you to be the janitor in that government building, if you're doing that in the will of God, you're equal with the President of the United States. If you, as long as you're doing the will of God. But sometimes people think, you know, I want more than that. I want to be the big shot. I want to be the guy on top. But if that's not God's plan for your life, you do not want to have that attitude. We cannot allow ourselves to have an attitude that we pick what we do. And that's, that's the kind of mentality today. How many times have you heard on television things, you know, we pick our own destiny. You know, we choose our own path. You know, we, you know, we decide our own future. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah, that all sounds good. It sounds confident, but the truth is, it's God that has a plan for your life. It's God that has something special for you. And we need to be looking to God, and our ultimate goal and our ultimate desire should always be to be right smack in the center of God's will. And the truth is, if we'll do that, that may mean we have to humble ourselves. We might have to take a lowly position. Do you know what my Bible says? that when we humble ourselves before God, that He will exalt you in due time. You'd be surprised uh, if you take that humble position that may be very low, and you do it in humility, God's, God's going to lift you up. It may not be here on this earth. Nobody on this earth may ever know who you are. But really, what's important is where we are in the Kingdom of Heaven. And I tell you, I think that probably the people that we are going to be admiring the most when Jesus Christ sets up His kingdom on this earth are probably going to be people that nobody knew here on this earth. But everybody's going to know them then. Because, you know, they were right smack in the center of God's will. God's going to exalt them. And I don't know about you, but, you know, this world doesn't really have that much to offer. I mean, if I could be the biggest celebrity and the most liked or loved person in the world, If I got named as Time Magazine's Man of the Year, you know there's only so much this world has to offer me. And it's not really that great. And the truth is, if I'm going to be exalted, I would prefer it to be in the Millennial Kingdom of Christ. I would prefer Jesus Christ to be the one to exalt me. Because the truth is, if man exalts me here on this earth, chances are, like anybody else, I'm going to get lifted up with pride. I'm going to start believe in all the things that people are saying about me. And if I do, then God's going to have to knock me down a peg. I'd rather not have that. You know, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of politicians made. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes our president made. I mean, he had all this media just saying all these wonderful things about him. You know, he went and he made, he made a good speech in 2004. That was about the extent of his accomplishments. And everybody just, oh, he's so great, oh he's so wonderful, oh he's so charismatic. He's gonna be the greatest president, he's the smartest one ever. And then you know, people went and you know and he got elected and you know he was believing that stuff. And you know, me, I'm just gonna be honest. You know, I've I've seen enough of what a president has to do. I know that I don't want the job. I couldn't do it. I mean, I just if they told if they came to me tomorrow and said, You can be the president, I would take it. Just so I could appoint a really good vice president and then quit. Because I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Have you seen how much those guys age in four years? I, I don't want that happening to me. They're under a lot of pressure. and but he got, It's almost like these guys get to believe in what everybody's saying about them. And then they get in there and it's like, oh boy, now what I do? <laughs> and it, it's a shocker. It's always funny how these guys kind of change their tune after they... Uh, like right before the election when they start getting briefings and things like the president does. I, I remember Obama did it. All of a sudden, man, when he started getting those briefings, I remember he had a meeting with President Bush and uh, all of a sudden, he kind of started changing a lot of what he was saying. Because he's like, whoa, this is bigger than I thought. Mitt Romney did the same thing and when he started getting a lot of those presidential briefings and things, all of a sudden, he's, he kind of started changing his tune in a few areas. And I'm telling you, what these guys need to do more than anything is they need to humble themselves. And they, they, any of them get lifted up with pride, they're going to fall. We've seen that in our own state. Two governors in a row in jail. And I'll tell you, this guy we've got now, I wouldn't mind seeing him go to the can for a few years. And yet, you know what? Chances are he probably will, knowing this state. But people, when they get to, th- when they get to thinking they should be up so high and one to elevate themselves, they're going to get brought down because they need to realize, no matter who they are, whether they are the smartest guy on the face of the earth, whether they are the most intelligent, the best looking, whether they're the most charismatic, whatever they are, they're all dust. We're all just dust. We're nothing. We're nothing. And God can knock us down so fast It's not even funny. And the truth is, none of us are anything compared to Lucifer even. We've got nothing on him. And God knocked him down just like that. It says in verse 15, "...yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit." Satan said, I'm going to be like the Most High. God said, no, you're going to be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with the sword, that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet. It says, "They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee." Boy, we've seen that before, haven't we? With some of our leaders, who I think about Jonathan Edwards. He was uh, ran as vice president under John Kerry. Just you know, like all of them, proud, pompous, arrogant. Loving all the cheering and things, they're getting a few years later. Now, nobody likes that guy. Turned out he was he was cheating on his wife while she was sick with cancer. I mean, just I mean, just had had a kid with somebody else. You know, nobody knew about any of these things. Now everybody knows about it. Now, I mean, he's disgraced, just completely disgraced. He'll never he'll never be able to run for anything. He couldn't run as dog catcher and get elected anywhere now because he's been he's been humbled big time he he's ruined got he got brought down we've seen that with many of our leaders uh i've we've seen I've seen that with preachers even recently one of the biggest names in Baptist circles maybe the biggest name turned out was a dirt bag got busted got humbled now is in prison you, you don't you don't want to get lifted up with pride you don't want to get trying to elevate yourself. Because when you do that, God's going to have to come along and say, who do you think you are? And He's going to remind us of who we are. Just like when that guy comes up and says, who do you think you are? Okay, He's probably going to show you what you are. He's going to show you that you're a win. He's going to bend your arm behind your back and make you say uncle and beg for mercy. He's going to prove it to you. And that's what God did with Lucifer in this story. And we've got to be careful. We don't want to get to thinking that, or we don't want to try to elevate ourselves to something that's not for us. It ought to be our ultimate desire and goal. I want to be right smack in the center of God's will. Wherever He wants me, that's what I'm going to do. As a pastor, I should have the attitude that you know what? I'm going to be faithful in this church. I try to preach the same to a small crowd as I do to a big crowd. If I go and I'm acting different depending on the group. God's not going to be pleased with that. I'm not, you know, there's people out there they they think they're big shots. They're not going to take a church unless it's one you know running over a certain number, and they're getting certain they got to get a paycheck that's so big and get all these benefits and things. You know, I, God doesn't bless that kind of thing, and uh, we don't want to ever say that we are above anything. You get to thinking you're above something, then. God's going to have to come along and say, "Who do you think you are?" And He's going to show you who you are. And we're dust. But um, then back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they thought it's like they thought they were above the law of God. I mean, really. Now this doesn't sound foreign to us because we do it all the time. We're used to it. But I mean, can you imagine? I'm gonna. My dad, he always uses. Andy Griffith show illustrations. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Andy Griffith show, but I remember there was there was one where a kid he's riding his bike on the sidewalk, and Barney comes along. Of course, you know, blows his whistle and goes after this kid and tells him he's not supposed to ride a bike on the sidewalk. And he's like, "Oh, okay, officer, I won't do it anymore." And he goes and he lets him go with a warning, and the kid takes off and he goes riding on the sidewalk again. And Barney was just you know he's just furious. I mean. You know, you were just told by an officer of the law, and then you just go and blatantly do it again. You know, and it's just like what? I mean, the audacity to just go and right in front of a police officer disobey him. I mean, can you can you imagine? You know, none of us would do that to a police officer if we're out there. Maybe we're out walking down the street and we're littering, and he comes and he gives us a warning. Just look at him defiantly. No, we wouldn't do that. You know why? We have enough fear and respect for that. Hopefully, we wouldn't do that. That we're going to at least wait until he's not looking to, to do something like that. I, me, for example, you know, if I'm driving and I'm speeding or something, all of a sudden I see that police car, I don't speed up. So well, I'm not afraid of him. Yeah, I am. He pulls me over, I'm gonna to have to pay a ticket. And I'm not, I don't, you know, I usually hit my brakes, even if I'm not speeding. It's just kind of, it's kind of a reaction. Like, Why are you hitting your brakes and not even speeding? And it's just a reaction. Because there's a respect, and you would think. Man, if if I if you were riding with me and I see a police officer, I'll show him. And just you you would just look at me like, "Who do you think you are?" And then that police is going to show me who I am. I am a normal citizen and he is a police officer. And he is going to give me a ticket. And then if I was to go to the judge, when I go to court and say, "I'm not paying this ticket and you can't make me." You know, that judge he is going to, in a roundabout way, say, who do you think you are? And he's not going to say it like this, but he's going to say something along the lines of, I am the judge. You are a normal person who is under these laws, and you are going to pay it. Otherwise, we've got guys with badges and guns around here. They're going to take you and handcuff you, and they're going to throw you in jail. And they w- And they will succeed in doing that. And they will remind me, of who is the boss? And you think, you know, why would you why would you do that? When we go against the law of God, we're doing the same thing. Adam and Eve had just been told by God, do not eat of that fruit. They knew what they were doing. I mean, they knew they were disobeying God. Now, the Bible does say that Eve was deceived. The serpent tricked Eve. But not Adam. Adam knew what he was doing. Adam chose to follow his wife instead of following God. He, he chose that. That's why you see in the New Testament where God kind of puts it all on Adam. Adam knew what he was doing and he blatantly went against the law of God and God said, dust thou art. And unto dust shalt thou return. God told him basically that you are going to die. Remember, man... Uh, when God made man, he wasn't supposed to die. But God said, when you eat of that fruit, you'll surely die. And God told Adam, It's like, you're going to die now. Not right away, but over time, he did die. And your body, it's going to rot. It's going to deteriorate. And it is going to turn back into the very dust that it came from. Because you are man. You are now a sinful man. Which means you're going to die. And. He did die, and what a you know it wasn't something that was supposed to happen, Well So we got to be careful. Never think we're above the law of God, but we're we're no different than them. Every time we knowingly and willingly disobey God. But another example in Exodus chapter three, verse eleven. I want to show you something here in Exodus chapter three, verse eleven. This is with Moses. It says and Moses said unto God, "Who am I?" That I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, Moses here, it sounds like Moses is really humble. God has told Moses that I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses said, Who am I? Well, Moses doesn't have a problem here. Look at how humble Moses is. He's saying, Oh, you know, I'm not good enough, Lord, to do this great work. Moses must have made God happy in this situation. No, not exactly. Because if you look at verse 8, Moses kind of gets a who do you think you are. It says in verse 8, it says, and I am come, and I, God's talking about himself. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, and and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God said, I am come to deliver them. I mean, who was it that delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt? It was not Moses. Moses. He did have a lot of problems. Moses, I mean, he had, he had a speech problem. He wasn't a good, uh, speaker. Moses had a temper problem. He got mad and killed the Egyptian. He got mad later and he smote the rock. I mean, Moses, he had his issues. And Moses, and when God tells Moses, I am going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, I want, and God said, I want you to go. I got, you have a part in this. I want you to go do something. Moses is like, who am I to do this? And then it says, uh, and then verse 12, and He said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon this mountain. God says, I will be with you. God has to kind of remind Moses that wait, don't worry about yourself. I'm going to be with you. Why are you worrying about this? You know, and we're all like that. God tells us to do things all the time, and we get to looking at ourselves and saying, "You oh, know, I can't do that." Wait a minute, who do you think you are? Yeah, yeah, you can't do this. Yes, you don't have the ability. Why would you even think that God is expecting you to do it? Do you really think you're that good? No. It's God that does it. He just works through us. Sometimes myself I could think, you oh, Lord, you know I mean I'm not cut out to Pastor Church, Lord, I'm not cut out to do this, I'm not cut out to do that. You know, I can't build a church. And it's like the Lord has to slap me upside the head and say, Uh, I know that. And guess what? You're not going to build a church. I'm going to build a church, and if I just happen to use you, that's a blessing for you. And we need to remember that. That hey, it's not, it's not us that does any of these things. It's not us. If you're, if you're you know, raising a good family and raising good kids, the Bible says, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. If you have, if you have a good family, if you have good kids, don't go patting yourself on the back too much. It's God that does that if you've succeeded at all it's only because you did what god said to do it's only because we got out of the out of god's way and we let god's will be done but it's god that does those things it's god that saves your kids it's god that does the work in their life it's god that does all those things and one of we need to realize that that we are nothing. We don't need to go around questioning God if He asks us to do something. God never, God, if God calls you to do a work, I mean, whether it's to pastor a church, whether it's to teach a Sunday school class, or be a singer in the church, whatever it is, if God calls you to do something, God doesn't call you because you are so able or because you're so great. God calls you because He loves you and wants you to be blessed and he gives us those opportunities but it's it's him that does the work it's, it's got whenever we go out uh, you know inviting people to church you go out soul winning and trying to win people to Christ if you're out there and you you give the gospel out to somebody and they get saved it's not because of you it's cause of the holy spirit if the holy spirit doesn't doesn't draw them then they're not going to get saved. I could be the best talker, I could be the best salesperson in the world, but if God is not involved, if the Holy Spirit doesn't do a work, absolutely nothing is going to get done. And if anything, if I do anything in the situation like that where somebody gets saved, all I did was show up and God did the work through me. And that's a blessing for me. It has nothing to do with me. If God has done anything, at Liberty Baptist Church. It's not because of me. It's because of God. And thankfully, I've just been in a position where God has allowed me to just kind of be there and get used. But it's God that does it. And we've got to realize that Moses, he, he just he kept asking questions. He kept uh you know, he he kept, you know, giving God all these excuses and the Lord starts getting upset with Moses because he's he's keeps Thinking it's him, and God said, Surely I will be with thee. That should have been enough right there. It should have been enough. It would be like Jason, maybe there's some there's some other kid that's a little bit bigger than him. Threatening to beat him up out in the neighborhood. And he's threatening, he's like, you know, the next time I see you come walking on the street, I'm gonna beat you up. And he comes and he brings it to me and he tells me I was like, Dad, there's this kid. He's like twelve years old. And he said, The next time he sees me, he's gonna beat me up. And you know what? I was like, well, you know what? We'll go walk down that street together. And we're walking down the street and Jason, he's just so scared. I mean, he's shaking. Like, Dad, that kid's going to beat me up. That kid's going to beat me up. And I'm like, wait a minute. You do realize he's going to have to get through me to get to you. Do you really think that kid's going to be able to take me? I mean, how, little, how little do you think of me? Do you think your dad's a total wimp? And I think God sometimes must look at us and think, wait, didn't I say I was going to be with you? Didn't I say I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? Not only who do you think you are, who do you think I am? You think I can't handle that situation? It's okay to look at yourself and say, uh, you know, man, I'm nothing. I can't do that. But at the same time, we need to understand that while we're going ahead and humbling ourselves and putting ourselves down, don't put God down. Don't doubt God. Don't put limits on God. You know, whenever we look, you know, whenever we go to the Bible and look at the things that we're supposed to be doing as a church, there's going to be some things that are challenging. I mean, there's going to be things I might throw at you that are challenging as a church, and yet it's going to be real easy to look at ourselves and say we can't do that. But we've got we've got to make sure what we do in those situations. Say so we can't do that, but God can do that. So you know what? Let's go ahead and be faithful and let God do the work. Don't don't question God's choice also another example in Jonah chapter Jonah chapter 1 you know Jonah he probably preached one of the greatest revivals that there ever was yet Jonah well he gets he gets picked on quite a bit because uh, you know he wasn't he wasn't the most obedient of all the prophets but uh, he did finally do what he was supposed to do but it took a lot of encouragement uh, can't even find Jonah. but um, It says in Jonah, we're going to read Jonah chapter 1. It says now, the uh, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What made Jonah think he could run from God? It's really it's like a little kid. Have you ever seen you know a little maybe a little kid? They'll go and they want to hide from you. you know, they're playing around and they'll go hide under their covers, and you can see the whole shape of their body there. And it's like do they really think they're hiding. And then you know you pull the cover off, they got their hands over their eyes like that's you know that's gonna hide. And you know, little kids, they think that works. You know, we we play those games with them. But it's but really, Jonah thinking he can run away from God. I I think Jonah did know better that he can't hide from God. But I think what Jonah was trying to do was make it impossible for him to do the will of God. Jonah goes, flees to Tarshish. He gets in a ship. He's going the opposite direction of Nineveh. Okay, so he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I think he knows that God's going to know where he's going. But Jonah's saying, if I can get far enough away, God's not going to be able to get me to Nineveh. Well, let me tell you, if you think you can avoid God's will and God's purpose, the question is, I have who do you think you are? But it's because it says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Jonah figured out real quick, God knows exactly where I'm at. But Jonah thought, you know what, I can still, I can still outdo God. Jonah, he was so determined to run from God, from, run from the will of God. He was so determined to, to run that he went as far as telling these men, throw me overboard. You know what Jonah was basically doing? He was telling people, kill me. If I'm dead, I can't do the will of God. If I'm dead, I can't go to Nineveh. If I'm dead, God can't use me. And they did. They threw him overboard. And Jonah's thinking, alright. Now what do you have, God? Well, he had a great fish. The whale comes, he swallows... Jonah up, and, and then you know the story. Three days later, finally, Jonah, he gives up. Some people think that Jonah may have actually died. It does say, out of the belly of hell, I cried. And they think that God may have brought him back to life. I don't know, some day it was, it was, he was alive in the belly for three days. Uh, you know, we, you know, you can, I guess you can kind of think whatever on that. But after three days, Jonah's like, you know, I, I wish I had done the will of God. I wish I had done what he wanted him to do, and you know what he did. That fish it vomited Jonah up on the shores of Nineveh. He you you cannot you can't outsmart God. You can't do it, and Jonah did. He went and he preached, and you know what he did even really do it with a good attitude. Pretty much all he did was walk through the city, basically saying, uh, "I can't remember what he said." He didn't really he didn't really say a whole lot. Uh, he said, uh, "He began in the, the city a day's journey and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's pretty much all he did. Forty days and you're going to be overthrown. Forty days you're going to be overthrown. Okay, I need God's will. He's still a little bit rebellious because we see that the people repented. God spared the judgment and then Jonah got mad. The guy didn't still judge them. That's how goofed up this guy was. But the thing is, God's will was done. God wanted to save those people. God wanted Jonah to go and preach there, and he did it. You can't run from God. You've seen it before. Little kids, my daughter Allie, she'll sometimes run away from me. I mean, do you? Re- it's like, do you really think you're going to get away from your dad? My legs are three times as long as you. Are. I can run a lot faster. You're only going to get so far. But it's like kids—they think they think they're going to be able to get away from their parents. Sorry, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work and you can try running from God, but it's not going to do you a bit of good. Another another example, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. The rich young ruler. This is this is interesting what he says. I believe there was something behind this question he asks verse 17 and when he was gone forth into the way there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him good master what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life now I might be reading into this a little too much but I personally believe in this guy's heart that when he came and asked Jesus what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life I think he thought Jesus was basically going to tell him man you've already done it you're good to go That's personally what I think. This says, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. See, Jesus always knew what was in people's heart when they would ask him questions. And he asked, He told them, why, Why callest thou me good? There's only one that's good. Okay? Was Jesus saying that because the guy was mistaken and he wasn't good? No. That guy had it right when he said, Good master. Because Jesus was good. He was the only... But what this guy didn't understand is that there was only one that was good. I think this guy thought He was good. And Jesus said, "Or verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And He answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. I think He probably said it with... With a humble pride. With all these have I kept from my youth. All these have I kept from my youth. Lord, I'm good. I'm okay. But really, there was really two commandments that Jesus didn't mention there. The the first one, the biggest one, shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, and he said, and he answered and said, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at this saying, and went away grieved for he had great possessions. As good as this guy was, I don't think there's any of us that could say we were as good as this guy. But this guy, he did have a problem. He thought he was good. And Jesus basically taught. In a very nice way. He basically tells him, You're not that good. So, there's one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest, and he tells him to go and sell all he has. Okay, well, if he's lacking something, that means you don't have something. If you don't have something, that means you need to get something, right? So, why did Jesus tell him to get rid of something when he needed something? He did that because He was trying to show them the thing that you need is you need to love Me the most. You need to love Me with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love your money more than you love Me. And that's a huge problem. I'm sorry, but you are still a sinner. And that man, he, did, he went away sorrowful because he had much possession. He loved something more than God. How dare we, how anybody think that we have earned heaven, that we're good enough to go to heaven on our own merit? People all over this world, religions all over, people who think they're going to heaven because they've been good enough. Who do they think they are? Because the truth is, and they, they wouldn't say this, but for us, theologically, if we were going to be theologically accurate, and that's our goal here, for us... To be good enough to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. We have to be as good as God is. And they won't come out and say this, but in the eyes of God, when somebody says, I'm good enough to go to heaven, they think they're equal with God. And God's going to tell them, who do you think you are? Take a look at me. I'm holy. I'm perfect. You are a sinner. The Bible is full of... You know, it's a mirror for us. It shows us who we are. It says our righteousness as is as a filthy rag. Compared to God, we are filth. And for us to think we're good enough to go to heaven is the ultimate insult to God. It's the ultimate insult to God. It would be like somebody who's maybe you know, have you ever been told that you looked like somebody that was really ugly? You know, it's always insulting how <laughs> they do that. It's like, yeah, you look just like this person. You look it's like, well, thanks a lot. <laughs> you know? And, I mean, and people, when they get to talking about themselves like they're good enough to go to heaven, like they are as good as Jesus Christ is, I mean, what an insult that is to our God. And, we have no business doing that, and that's where this man was. And Jesus was trying to show him, no, you are not as good as me. You're lacking something huge. You don't love Me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I'll tell you, there's so many examples. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, we talked to them all about, uh, they thought that they could fool God. Let's just give part of the money. They could have done that. They could have just given part. But they wanted to lie about it. They wanted to look good, thinking they are going to fool God or fool uh, fool whoever. And they did. They went and they lied. And God remind them, hey, You're not going to keep any secrets from me, and they died right there. That's how they were humbled. Job even. uh, Sometime you ought to go to Job chapter 38 and read the rest of the book of Job. Job finally, you know, the whole almost that whole 38 chapters is Job and his friends, and they're trying to figure out while all these things are happening to Job. And you know, I've heard I've heard several preachers that have they figured out. Why God did what he did to Job. Alright? I personally, I don't believe the Bible tells us why God did what he did to Job. Because if you read Job chapter 38 on, basically what God does is he does a really long, you know, who do you think you are? He goes and he, you know, he says, Who is this that darkness counts my words without knowledge? You know, and he goes and God starts asking questions. Just asking question after question after question. And when you read these, you'll see that God is basically showing Job that, hey, I'm God, you're nothing. And after Job got done, I love what Job said. He said, I abhor myself. After Job got a good look at God, he looked at himself and thought, Man, I am nothing. I I hate myself. I I hate myself. And God never told him. God was basically saying, "Job, who are you to question me? Who are you to question my methods?" And there's all these people they think they figured out why God did what He did to Job. I personally think the whole moral of the book of Job is God's ways are way above our ways, and we don't need to know why God does what He does. He's got a plan. We follow it. We be content with it, whatever it is, and then after that, you know we just keep our mouths shut and trust Him. Don't go trying to figure it out. I mean, who do you think you are to think that you've got God figured out? Do you really think He's that simple? I mean, let me tell you, if we can figure God out, He's not much of a God. We can't. If we can, if our, if we think that we've somehow tapped into the mind of God. We must not think he's got much of a mind, and we and uh, th- throughout that that uh, those three chapters there, God is just basically telling them, there's a huge difference between us. Job, just trust me, just trust me. We try to teach that to our children when they're little. Hey, kids, you just need to trust me on this one. You know, Allie back there, I mean she's she's a little stinker. All right, you know I'm not I'm not. I'm not going to sit down and give her a detailed explanation of, you know, why she just, you know, can't leave the house whenever she wants and go wander through town. Okay? She's not going to get it. She's only two years old. And in the meantime, all she really needs to learn is mommy and daddy said you can't go outside. You need to stay inside. That's all she really needs to know. She just needs to know how to how to listen to mommy and daddy. And she'll learn understand more things as she grows up. And as Christians we'll learn more about God and we'll understand more and more things. But the truth is, we're never going to completely understand everything until we get to heaven. That's why we sing songs like we'll understand it better by and by. When we get to heaven we'll God will reveal it all to us. We'll understand it then. In the meantime, we need to follow Him. And you know, I get kind of tired of people coming up all the time. And you know, you know, why does God? You know, if there's a God, how come He does this? And why isn't it things this way? So basically, what you're saying is, if you were God, you would have done things different. Okay, who do you think you are? You really think you could have done it better than God? Well, I wouldn't let there be I wouldn't let there be all these wars and sickness things. Also, oh, basically, you would be a dictator. You would dictate what everybody does. Okay? No, I wouldn't be a dictator. Well, you're ba- You wouldn't let people have any choices. You wouldn't let there be any free will. Do you really think you can do a better job than God can? We can't. And we've got to make sure that we don't get this get these attitudes that we've been talking about. Because if we do, in any area of our life, we get to thinking we're something. Somebody eventually is going to come along and say, "Who do you think you are?" And then they're going to show you. If I start going around town and bragging that I am one, that I am this, you know, I got like four black belts and you know all these different martial art things, I could whoop anybody. You know, Pretty soon, if I start talking about it too much, I start going to where they do all these fights and things and talking about how tough I am. Pretty soon, somebody's going to get tired of hearing about it. And they're going to say, you know what? It's time to prove it. I don't think you're that tough. And I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to try to back up what I've been saying. And if it's not true, I've just been elevating myself to something that I'm not. Somebody's going to put me in my place and they're probably not going to be real merciful because I've just talked way too much. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be ugly for me. It's like that, it's like that with people, and it's gonna be like that with God, and we gotta be careful that we don't get to thinking too much of ourselves. Otherwise, we are gonna be brought down. So that said, let's all stand together. Our heads bowed, eyes closed.